into the Word of God as we look into the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. Proverbs written by King Solomon. He was a wise king who wrote a number of Proverbs, particularly for his children so that they might know how to live. And these are general sayings the Proverbs are. And here in this particular passage, we'll be looking at chapter 29, verse 25. And it reads this. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Let's pray before we begin our study of God's Word this morning. Our Lord in heaven, we come before your throne asking, Father, that you would help us to grow in our knowledge and our fear of you. May your grace be upon us at this time. We pray, Father, that you would open our hearts wide, that we might see great and mighty things which we do not yet know. Jesus' precious name, amen. For the past number of weeks, we've been talking about some subjects, in particular problems that we have, problems that we face. And just to review, we've been talking about the subject of dealing with our problems, problems that stem particularly from our heart, our sinful heart, That's where it manifests itself, through its fruit. And you want to know who a person is? You look at the fruit of their life. The things that they do and the things that they say. As Jesus says, the fruit that a tree bears will bear the fruit that is evident to others. And you see that. Hearts, though, are inclined inclined towards sin because of sin that is in our hearts. They're inclined towards that. And there's a conflict going on in our hearts, a war in our hearts. And last week we looked at, we looked at the source of our conflicts from James chapter 4. They come from our desires. Desires that may begin as neutral desires, but when they come to rule our lives and when they come to usurp the place of God's desires in our hearts, then they become sinful and our sinful responses and behavior that is manifested is part of the unfortunate, part of the the fruit that is not good. So, God's Spirit, when we live in sin, Desires, it says in the book of James, chapter 4, jealously desires that he control our lives. And so, sometimes these desires, what we think are just our so-called needs, are really our sinful desires. We call them needs and we become demanding and have expectations. And when those expectations aren't fulfilled, we become disappointed and it causes conflict within us. You know, we, we talk about this subject of conflict, as James says, what is the source of conflicts within you? It is not your sinful desires. And it affects two areas we looked at last week. It affects our prayer life where James says, you... Don't even pray, and when you do pray, you ask for your own selfish motives. It affects our prayer life, and it affects our view of God. 
As we think of God as more of a waiter who will wait on us and fulfill whatever desires we have and we pray and ask God for all of these things hoping that God will give us what we want so that we can spend it on our own selfish desires. And that is what we went over last week. Last week which talked about our heart's desires. So often are they so sinful And so when we have a problem in our life, when we have a difficulty in our life, when we have conflict, we ask ourselves first, what is it perhaps that is the cause of this conflict? What is it that I want so badly that makes me upset or dissatisfied or react in anger or frustration? Somebody cuts you off on the freeway and you become angry. Why? Because I feel I have that right, or I want to be there, or I want to be first, or whatever. What is it that I want so badly in my life that causes me to react in an ungodly way? Is it a desire that stems from our own selfishness, or is it a desire that stems from the desire that wants God to be honored? Oftentimes it's because I want to make me happy. I want to make me happy. I want to be happy and fulfilled to fill that void. And so what do people do to fill that void? Some are shopaholics spending hours shopping online or in the malls. Or I want that void to be filled by someone else pursuing relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. Whatever it might be, I want to look good to others. And so I spend hours upon hours on my home or making my home look just right. Or I want to be sure that I look right before others. And I spend hours in the bathroom making sure that all of myself is in order. What is it that I want so badly in my life that it causes conflict with others? The answer is not the pursuit of God's glory for His purposes. And in the long run, I'll tell you, it will be very unfulfilling. Temporary fulfillment, sure, but long-term fulfillment and joy that God desires we have, no. So today we'll look at one major area. One major area that this particular passage speaks of that drives people, sometimes motivates them for all of their life. It answers the question of why we do what we do in the area of motivations. And it's very common. It's a common theme in the Bible. Sometimes it's called the fear of man. As it says here, the fear of man brings a snare. It is the fear of people, especially what people think or what people might think of us. And in today's language, the fear of man goes by a lot of different terms, doesn't it? We call the fear of people things like peer pressure or insecurity or shy or people pleasing or codependency or whatever it may be. But it's an epidemic of the heart. We desire that people be pleased and we try to make people happy. We got a fear of people, of what they think or what they might think. Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, sets out a number of questions to ask yourselves. And this is something that you kind of ask yourself to see, do you fear people more than you fear God? He says, well, have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Are you overcommitted? Have difficulty saying no? Is self-esteem critical to you? Do you feel maybe you might be exposed as a fake or an imposter? 
You're afraid of making mistakes such that you'll look bad in other people's eyes? Or do you feel empty or meaningless? Do you experience a love hunger? Or you get easily embarrassed? Do you ever lie? Little white lies. Are you jealous of others? Do other people often make you angry or make you depressed? Or do you need, quote-unquote, something from your spouse? Are you controlled by them and what they don't give you? Do you avoid people? Or perhaps this one. When you compare yourself to others, do you feel good about yourself? That's a funny way of thinking of the fear of man because it is still dependent upon and defined by what others think of you rather than what God thinks of you. You feel insecure? You have difficulty, perhaps this one, for many. You have difficulty sharing the gospel with others because what you're afraid they might think of you. Now, if you're like most people, you will respond yes to many of those things. And it's because of the sinfulness within us that is inclined to fear people more than fear God. And it's a theme that runs through the scriptures. And so let's look at a few passages that reflect the fear of people as we see how fear of people have, have, have caused individuals in the scriptures to respond in sin. We look in Genesis 12, if you turn in your Bibles, to the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12... A man whom we often think of as a very godly man, a man who, who feared God. We have often think of him as, in a, in a very positive way, was blessed by God, chosen by God. For it says in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, in the first three verses, God says to a man named Abram, Go forth from your country, and this is what I'm going to do for you. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And those that bless you, I'm going to bless. And those that curse you, I'm going to curse. And so Abraham Abraham went forth from his country and followed God just like God told him to. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. Immediately there's a famine in the land in verse 10. It says there's a famine in the land. And so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so it will go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Now imagine that. God here speaks directly to Abram. He speaks directly to Abram and he says, these are the great promises I'm going to give to you to bless you. And he says, I'm going to give you this land and make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. Imagine that God speaking to him and then he turns around and because of his fear of people, he lies. He tells his wife, will you lie so that I won't be what? I won't be killed. I won't be killed. His fear was, his wife was beautiful. Sarai means princess. And he's afraid that, he's afraid they're going to see her and, and, and decide that they're going to get rid of him. He failed to trust in God's promises because of his fear of others. 
more classic example is found in First, First Kings. If you turn in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 15, a very classic example of the fear of people, cause of sin in Saul's life. The fear of people in chapter 15. And this is a this is a passage in which he was told to he was told to go and strike Amalek and tells him to strike Amalek and to destroy all that he has to destroy all that he has and to put to death both man and woman child infant ox and donkey and there he is I'm sorry for Samuel And he tells him, this is what you're to do. You're to get rid of all of these people in Amalek because they are, they, are, they are sinful in my sight. You are to get rid of them. In verse 8 and 9, the scriptures say that Saul disobeys. He captured King Agag in chapter 15, verse 8. The king of the Amalekites and utterly destroyed the people, it says, with the edge of the sword. But Saul spared Agag and the best of the sheep. The best of the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good. He wasn't willing to destroy all of them and he disobeyed God. And he said to the Lord, the Lord what? Confronted him through the prophet Samuel. He confronted him through the prophet Samuel and he said, no, it was the people. It was the people who told me that they wanted to keep it. It was their fault. Samuel said, no, God has rejected you as king. What did he say later on? He said, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and of your words. Because what? Because I feared. I feared the people and listened to their voice. Saul feared the people and chose instead to disobey God. And God punished him by rejecting him as the king of Israel. And throughout the Bible we see this. We see this in Peter's fear. When Jesus was, was uh, arrested, and then he was, tried, he was brought to trial in a night court, and the people saw Peter, and they would say, Is it, weren't you one of the disciples? And Peter denied Christ. Three times he denied Christ. Why? Because he didn't want to be identified with Christ. Peter's hypocrisy again in Galatians chapter 2. He used to be eating with these Gentiles, you know. He would eat with them, but then some of his Jewish friends would come along and then he would distance himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of what the Jews would think of him. And so Paul rebukes him for that because he was afraid and he he discriminated against them. And there are accounts like this in the Bible that show that people, you know what, people respond sometimes in fear, in the fear of what others will think, of what others will do. The question is, why do we do what we do? Why are we so afraid of what people think of us? Why are we afraid to give our testimony in public or afraid to sing, perhaps, because, well, others will hear us sing? Why don't we, uh, why do we have such a hesitation in meeting someone who is new? Why are we driven, perhaps, to live the way we live? Why do we want to do certain things such that we may even sin against God when we do them? Categories of fear that motivate our lives. The fear of man. Sometimes it is the fear, first of all, of being exposed. The fear of being exposed. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit off of the tree in the Garden of Eden. 
Immediately it says in chapter 3 verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they hid themselves, you see. And they hid themselves not only from God, but they saw each other and they knew that they were naked. They were exposed. They were ashamed. And they hid from God. One of the greatest things that we fear as people is being exposed for who we are. And it causes us not to follow and obey God. Exposed for who we are. Exposed for what we really do. We don't want to look bad in front of people. No one likes to speak in public and say the wrong thing. They, they, they don't want to look dumb. Some are afraid that being look, look, looking poorly. I mean, that's why they spend hours in, in the bathroom making sure there's no such thing as a bad hair day for them. Or others simply stay indoors. You'll find some very seldomly go out. Very self-conscious, difficult to make new friends, rarely share about themselves or they hide their faults because they don't want people to know who they really are. Or they see, they see others who can do better things than them and they say, I, I can't do that, I don't want to even try. I can't sing as well as Nathan up here, I'm not even going to try. I've read many business executives and apparently successful individuals are fearful of being exposed for who they really are and what they really do. And it drives them to behave differently when we fear. We have a fear of being found out. Like the prank caller who called five different people at random. At random and said, said over the phone, they know what you've done. You'd better leave town. Click. And four out of the five of them left town. Why? Because they were afraid the skeleton was out of the closet. An even greater fear is the second category perhaps we've seen sometimes. is the fear of rejection. Just as King Saul was afraid of the people of rejecting him, not following him, comes as no surprise. Sometimes that, that causes us to do what we do. We live all of our lives in this fear, the fear of rejection. No one wants to be despised. No one wants to be ridiculed. No one wants to be made fun of. No one wants to be ignored or laughed at. Everyone wants to be, or most people want to be appreciated or, or felt worthy and significant to others. It's not all wrong to feel good when others encourage us, but far too often the approval of others rule our lives. Rules our decisions and makes us incredibly insecure. I remember when I was a little boy, I was in the third grade. You know, and in the third grade, it used to be all right, at least. Third grade, there was this girl. Her name was Susie. And she'd want me to chase her around. She'd poke me and she'd say, chase me. And I'd chase her around. And that was fun for about a year and a half until I get to the fifth grade or so. And then I meet some new friends. And these new friends are boys. And these boys teach me that girls are yucky. And so I'm not supposed to chase. So I don't chase her around anymore. Poor, disappointed Susie. And, you know, I caved in because, you know what, I wanted these friends and so I, just, I just ignored her. And it causes us to treat people in a way that is not positive. No one wants to be on the receiving end of rejection. And I didn't want to be rejected by these new friends that I had made. And the people in the world are the same way. If you knew that, you know what, becoming a Christian, placing your faith in Christ, meant that, you know what, you would be treated poorly. 
People would laugh at you. People would mock you. People would say all sorts of things against you. And not only that, you would likely be very much impoverished. You'd lose your job. You might lose your family. Maybe even tortured for your faith. Would you have chosen Christ? Would you have chosen Christ to say, you know what, these are the things I truly believe and it doesn't matter what it might mean. The decision to fear people versus fearing God every day shows itself when people hide their faith. I don't want to say I'm a Christian at work. I don't want to say uh, anything about religion, even if people ask me. It leads a great amount of insecurity and fear, not desiring to treat others in a godly way, in a way that God would desire. And so we say all sorts of things. Oh, I'm just more reserved. Or I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift to, to, to say to others. Common reason, I think, is more a fear of people. What are they going to think of us? What are they going to say about us? How are they going to look at us? Are they going to laugh at us? Are they going to reject us? And being judged by others in that way is a strong demotivator. It's like myself. It's like myself a number of, what, number of weeks ago. A number of weeks ago, I really decided I, I was going to uh, try and get into shape. And so I began, and I thought to myself, I really got to get into shape, and I'm going to uh, go swimming. I thought that's a good way. You know, I used to enjoy swimming a lot, and I thought about it, and I've got to get some new swim trunks. Yeah, even though I already have two. But I thought to myself automatically, I don't want to wear those because, you know, I thought, oh, well, I've got this white one. It'll make my stomach stick out. And the other one, it's too loud. And so I go to Big Five. And there I look through the swim trunks. No, that one well, was too long. And, you know, it's like it looks like shorts. I'll look like a high schooler. Or the other one, you know, that one's just too small, etc., etc. And all of these things, no. And what made me judge all those things is because of a fear of how other people would look at me. That they would judge me and say, that guy sure is out of shape, all right. I hadn't even tried anything on yet. The fear of what others might think of me. So I tend to be a morning person. And so I get up early at 5 a.m. so I can be at the pool at 5.30. And do you know who's there? It's not all of those high school swim athletes at Mercer Island. No, it's not all of those people who are competitive swimmers. I go there and there I am. Everyone else, well, most of them, were these elderly retired men. And here I am. It doesn't matter what I'd wear. My false thinking of the fear of people drove me to something that didn't even come fulfilled. No one would ever say, oh, he looks out of shape. I just fit right in. (laughs) Who, who am I? The fear of people drove me to respond in a certain way, whether it's not playing with Susie or whether it's spending more money on this because I feared the judgment of others. And when we do that, we we tend to compare ourselves to other people or we find something we're good at. And yet that's the foundation of today's modern self-esteem philosophy, right? Find something you can do, something that you're good at and put your value there or surround yourself with affirming people who will encourage you. But even those things can be taken out from under you. And then what happens to who you are and your identity? What happens to you when you no longer have those things? who you are. We have a fear then of being exposed or a fear of being rejected. We have a fear that's also shown of being harmed, 
of being harmed, just like the disciples who were around Jesus. Do you know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested? It says that all his disciples fled. And then after Jesus was, 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 was killed, what did they do? They all huddled together in a locked room. Fear of being harmed rather than having courage to stand up, to stand next to their Savior. Just like Elijah, when he had that successful victory over Balaam. I'm sorry, over, over the, over the, over the uh, prophets of Baal. They set up two altars and fire came down from heaven and consumed his offering. And yet all it took was Jezebel saying that you're going to die. And he ran. This is the type of fear, the fear of being harmed when people are afraid to take a stand for their faith because they might be what harmed by it rather than being like Daniel and his three friends who no matter what it was, whether it be the lion's den or whether it be thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego took a stand for God. So our problem is that with people is that We desire the applause of people, the approval of people, rather than the approval of God. Just as it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, the Pharisees, they loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. So you say, I struggle with this. I struggle with with, uh, making, trying to make everyone happy, and, and then I feel insecure. I cave in to the pressure of people rather than telling others that, you know what, I need to do the right thing. I do what everyone else does. I'm not a person who who takes a stand very often at all because, you know what, I just don't want to make any waves or I'm easily swayed. Or I feel so funny because, you know what, I I, I try and make it. I mean, my job, you feel like you're trying to make everyone happy and yet you yourself are unhappy I want to sing to the Lord or I want to share my faith, but I just don't do them. I want to, I just feel so embarrassed. It makes me feel funny. How do I overcome my fear of what others think of me? How do I overcome my fears of what others think of me? First thing is to understand that the world and people have intensified our fear of people. The world and people have intensified our fear of people. Understand that the world tells us, you see, that who we are is based upon what we can do or what others say about us or who we are in terms of how much we make or who, what your job is. You know, you'll find that oftentimes. I've been meeting a number of new people, uh, you know, when I've been, I've been out and about and they, they'll always say, what do you do? Because they feel that that defines who you are or where you live or what kind of home you live in or what your neighborhood is or what kind, what language do you speak or where were you born or what you, the color of your skin is. And all of these things, the world tells us who we are. And these things are so fragile. These things are all so frail and our security cannot be in all of those things that the world has to offer. That's what the world will tell you who you are. People will tell you who you are too. And they can intensify your fear of people as well. Especially those who have been victimized in some way. A victim of violence or abuse. Physical, verbal or sexual abuse. There's a greater fear of people. Lack of trust. Or perhaps words even that were said to a person long ago. Maybe when they were a child or whatever. 
Or you're, you're ugly or you never amount to anything or whatever it might be that have pierced and we've lived by that and it intensifies our fears of people. Yet we need to look at how God has made us and what God says about who we are. It's like Gladys Allward and, and Elizabeth Elliot's book, who in her, in her book she writes about Gladys Allward who was told when she was a child she had two great sorrows. One is that she was short. Four foot eleven, four foot ten, I should say. And then she had black hair when all of her friends had blonde hair. And so Gladys Allward set her heart on China. And she went to China and when she reached that country, she stood on the wharf of Shanghai and she said, and she looked at all of the people there and she said, quote, every single one of them had black hair and every one of them had stopped growing when I did. And she said to God, Lord God, you know what you are doing. So realize that there have been things that perhaps have intensified your fear of people. For the scriptures say who we are. It tells us that we're ambassadors of Christ, that we're children of God, that we're special in His sight, that we are saints, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are co-laborers with Christ, that we are lights shining in the darkness, that we are the salt and light of the world, that we have been elected from the foundation of the world, and you are a special individual, for God knit you while you were in your mother's womb, it says in the Psalms. To understand who we are, and no matter what the world tells us, what God says is what is true. And to hold tightly to the truth of the Word of God as it shares with us and says, you know what, who you are, you are a special child of God. And no one can take that away from you if you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Secondly, care more about loving people rather than using people. Care more about loving people rather than using people. When we fear people... We begin to use others because, oh, they meet our needs. We please them so that they'll say something good about us and it feeds our our needs. They make us feel good. They help us or whatever. And our selfish desires, as we spoke of in James chapter 4, are so strong we say that they're a need. And we use people demanding of them or whatever. Just like King Saul who feared the people and he wanted to look good. He wanted to look good with Samuel, but his heart was not with God. So what do you do more? Do you use people more? Or do you love people more? Care more about loving people rather than using people. And thirdly, learn to fear God. Grow in your fear of who God is. Ed Welch says in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, he says and defines it as reverent submission that leads to obedience. Reverent submission that leads to obedience. The idea captured is, is in the reverence of God, trust and submission and obedience. Do you remember what God told kings when they were first, when they would become a king? He gave them some instructions if they were ever to become king. Deuteronomy chapter 17, 17 tells us, how do you fear God? It answers that question. How do you learn what it is the fear of God? And he gives an instruction to the, those who would become king. 
For he says in chapter 17, verse 14, Look, when you enter the land, you possess it. You're going to say, in verse 14, I'm going to set a king over me like the nations around us. He predicts this of the nation of Israel. And these are the things that you're, you're going to de- demand of your king. This is the instructions that you're to give to your king. He says in verse 16, Don't multiply horses. Verse 17, Don't multiply your wives. Verse 17 again, nor shall you greatly increase in silver and gold for yourself. And in verse 18, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all of the words of this law and these statutes. And that his heart might not be lifted up above his countrymen. And may he not be turned aside by the command, from the commandment to the right or to the left. In order that his sons, he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. If you want to learn how to fear God... They were told to write the scriptures, to read the word of God every day and to obey his commandments. You cannot learn to fear God unless you know who God is. And you cannot know God unless you know his word. Fear God and to learn how to fear God, you spend time in his word. Spend time in the Word of God to think about God, to see how does God respond to various things and to know your God. For oftentimes we fear people because they are big to us and we don't fear God because He is a small God. Because we don't know who God is. Jesus tells us, don't be afraid of people. He says, don't fear those who will kill the body or unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In Matthew ten twenty-eight, If you fear God, who is a holder of your soul, and willing to fear God and obey Him unto death, and you think deeply about that, then you will stand strong when it comes to people who ask you to compromise your faith in Christ. Learn what it is to fear God. And fourthly, make your life right with God. Make your life right with God if you want to overcome the fear of being exposed. Walk rightly with God. There's nothing to fear, nothing to hide, no skeletons in the closet. Walk rightly with God. For Proverbs 10, 9 says, He who walks in integrity walks securely. You want to be a secure person? You want to be a person who is not driven by your insecurities or your fears of people? Then walk in integrity. Be a person who is real. Be a person who has a right relationship with God who spends time walking with God and is filled by His Spirit, who is truthful, who is not one who lies, who is not deceptive, not one who is always trying to get out of little things or skirt at work or, or, or to, 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 to take things that aren't yours or to rob your employer of time or their resources or not to disobey parents behind their back 
Or not to disobey God when, oh, you're the only one there because you think that no one else sees. Be a person who lives in integrity. And when you do, you will have security. Because what? There is nothing to expose you. For Proverbs 10.9 at the end of that says, But he who perverts his ways will be found out. Make your life right with God. You know, one of the greatest things I enjoy about reading the Bible and especially the Old Testament is because you see and you know how God reacts to various things. You see and you know how much God hates sin. How much He hates sin. And in the New Testament, how much He is grieved over the fact that you sin and I sin. And you sense the heart of God, how His divine favor looks upon you when He is pleased by your walk with the Lord. And you learn what it is by His reaction and His responses to see what is pleasing to God rather than saying what pleases me, what makes me happy, what will feed my own ego or what will feed my own needs. We learn to trust God and our eyes are no longer focused on ourselves but they're focused on God. They're focused on God. For that is the, 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 the thing we are to live. To be focused and to have a life that seeks to please God in all that we do. The wisest man in the world said this at the book of Ecclesiastes, if you'll turn there with me. Probably my favorite passage in Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 to 14. It is written by King Solomon after exploring all that the world had to offer. He explored building various things. He explored riches. He explored having the pleasures of a companion. His evaluation of it all after everything was said and done, after enjoying all that the earth had to offer. He said this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. The conclusion when all has been heard is two things. Fear God. And keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, and everything which is written, whether it is good or evil. Learn what it is to fear God, and overcome being driven by the fear of people. The fear of people is not such that, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not the fear of, that's not overcoming the fear of people. That's being self-willed because you're not fearing God either. Fearing God desires, he's, you're going to do what he wants you to do. You're going to obey God. You're going to follow God. You're going to love God. You're going to do what pleases God, irregardless of what others in the world might tell us to do. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how today, Lord, we look around and we see perhaps many who do not fear you because they do not know you or their thoughts of you are very small. But Father, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the truth of who you are through your word, that your word might be treasured, for it reveals you and your Son. 
And may we bow in reverence and holiness to you, desiring to please you above all else. In Jesus' precious name, amen.